Good afternoon, everybody, and welcome to Artsmen and Here on Sin, the show that discusses all the happenings in the arts and culture world. My name is Tom, and I am joined today by none other than Ben Holt. Hello. And Dem. Hi. Awesome. It's going to be an action-packed ram of a show. And as always, we'll be speaking with talented artists and individuals from our base here in Melbourne, as well as discussing the latest shows, exhibitions and otherwise that we have been following here and abroad. Can I just say, I'm super excited. At 4.15, Annette Chunois is going to be uh, joining us by phone and we're going to talk about the brand new theatre show, part of Asia Topa. It's called Double Delicious. Tom, I think it's going to be pretty epic stuff. It's going to be a sizzle fest. I'm absolutely excited. Um, we also have an interview uh, coming up at 5 o'clock with Jennifer Piper, so it's going to be really interesting uh, speaking to her as well. But also, we're on social media, so be sure to stay in the loop or drop us a line via our Facebook page or by following us at Instagram at ArtsMenonOnSin or Twitter at ArtsMenon. But for now, I think it's time for a little bit of a boppery do. We are going to get addicted to the sunshine. You're listening to Art Smitten with Dem, Ben and Tom. You're listening to Art Smitten with Ben, Dem and Tom. Those three-letter names are just working for me so very well. Uh, we're really, really thrilled in a second. We're going to be having a quick chat with Anen, Annette Chunois. However, prior, we did just hear Lime Cordial with their track Addicted to Sunshine along with Cosmos Midnight down for you. Now let's transition to a brand new theatre show that's happening called Double Delicious. It's happening as part of Asia Topa and it offers a taste of the meals that mean everything to five fascinating public figures. We're very ever so lucky to be speaking to Annette Chunois. And Annette, how are you this afternoon? I'm very well, thank you for asking. Oh, look, you know, I, w- I wouldn't just dive right into a question. That would almost be a little bit rude. So, uh, oh, I don't know. Go for it. <laughs> oh, perfect. Okay, well, as, as long as you ask. So this show, as I mentioned just before, it is part of Asia Topa. And I'm just yeah. curious, what sparked such a keen interest to kind of collaborate with five different public figures and simply put this show on? Well, um, we have a little theatre company called Contemporary Asian Australian Performance. So how, our whole thing is to make live performance that explores what it is to be both Asian and Australian. Um, And so we are constantly looking for interesting people and interesting stories that we can push on stage, and particularly, you know, main stage um, events. Uh, So Asia Topa is actually perfect for us because it is Asian-Australian stuff, I think, needs to be there alongside all those, you know, wonderful shows that the festival might bring in from overseas. Because I think the stories we have to tell in Australia are every bit as fascinating and entertaining um, as anything else. Um, And the five people we have, they're just fascinating. Um, Benjamin Law, I think many of your listeners might know. Um, Elizabeth Chong is, for me, an absolute legend. Um, She has been teaching cooking uh, mostly in Melbourne for something like 57 years. Wow. Um, Yeah. And uh, some people might remember her from the days when Bert Newton used to do Good Morning Australia. And uh, Elizabeth was a regular on that show with her cooking segments. So um, to the show's merit and credit, you did mention that there were, you know, five different 
figures we've got uh, cooks, writers, and media personalities. But I'm curious, how did they go about making a short list of dishes to discuss on this show? Because simply, there just wouldn't be enough time to include everything. Yeah, that's right. What we're about is finding a story that's really going to be gripping and that is going to be, although it's specifically about the person, it's something that's going to speak to the whole audience. So really, when we just ask them for one particular dish that would spark a memory or a moment that was particularly pivotal in their lives. Um, so, for example, our, we have a Korean uh, storyteller, Heather Jong, who is cooking a dish that her father loved. And her parents married just at the end of the Korean War. Uh, but because there was no protein around, no meat around at the end of the war, the Koreans were just desperate for meat. And they ended up um, getting rations from the American Army base, their um, ration pack. And they, they had all sorts of stuff. You can imagine the sort of stuff they had, you know, like baked beans, hot dogs, spam. And the Koreans thought, well, at least it's protein, but they had no idea whatsoever what to do with this stuff. So they just chucked it in with chili and um, kimchi and some rice cakes and created a dish that was sort of their own but sort of wasn't. And it's now known as army-based stew. Oh, wow, and that's so fantastic. It's, it's, it's a great story. And so... For Heather, this dish was her father's favourite dish and it was a really great way in for her to talk about that history of the Korean War and how her father, like many Korean men, went off to the Vietnam War thinking that was a way to, you know, find more money for their families back home. And, and then she didn't see him. Well, in fact, she didn't get to meet him because she was, had not yet been born when he left. She didn't meet him until she was nine years old. So this dish allows us to hear this great uh, historical background of what was going on that I didn't know Koreans went off to do the Vietnamese War and that they came to Australia through that. But also a personal story about her own struggle to find a relationship with her father because she didn't meet him until she was nine years old. So, Annette, and something... I guess with I guess with so much history um, that, oh. that you're clearly telling us here, how was how it important in a means that this show was not only about cooking on stage, but we, we all, there's also a nice element of performance too? Yeah, it's, it's, um, it really isn't so much about cooking. Food is a thing that we all relate to and it connects us to memory, but it's a theatre piece. So we wanted to find interesting ways of performing these stories so with Heather and Elizabeth Chong, whose specialties are cooking, they do do a little bit of cooking. But for someone like uh, Ragat Handa, who's a dancer choreographer, he tells his story, but there is also a lot of movement and beautiful uh, projections. So it's quite a theatrical experience, but a multi-sensory one, because you not only see and hear, um, you get to taste and touch uh, what this is all about. Incredible, Annette. That's absolutely incredible. Um, were there any unexpected challenges along the way and how were they resolved? A show with many moving parts surely couldn't be overly simple to put together. <laughs> well, we, we have some expertise in putting storytelling shows together, but what we don't have expertise in is catering. So the logistics actually of feeding everyone. So you can imagine there were five stories and at the end of each story, just as the story finishes, the audience gets the dish to taste. Oh, fantastic. Um, 
So when you have 100 people in the audience and, you know, we're catering to 100 people, that's, you know, 100 times five dishes, which have to be delivered at exactly the right moment in the show, five times. So, yeah, it, someone used the word military operation and it feel, did feel a little bit like that. But it's really worth it because people are so lost in the story, in the last moment of a story, and then they get the dish and they eat it with that full understanding of what that dish means to someone. And it's, it's an amazing experience. We've, we've seen people break their own rules. Like people who've been vegetarians, for example, just forcing themselves to eat it because they didn't want to miss out on that last bit of experience of the story. You are listening to Art Smitten with Ben, Tom and Den. We are very, very lucky to be having a chat with Annette Chunois. We're talking about Double Delicious, the brand new show that uh, takes five different personalities, public figures, and they talk about some of their favourite Asian dishes along with some storytelling and performance as well. Uh, tickets are indeed available at Asiatopa website and it is located, the show, at Abbotsford Convent. And Annette, what would be the thing you're most proud of about this show? Oh, gosh, I, the whole thing, really, the whole experience of it and the way that people uh, are so affected by the stories and the food. I mean, they, you know, obviously, they walk out, it's delicious. They've had, they've had a great time, but, but they keep talking. You see them in the foyer talking about all the elements of the different stories that affected them. And, and each story is so different that, you know, depending on the individual in uh, in the audience, they, they're all affected by a different story. So, um, so I really love the way that the buzz that it creates for people. Lovely. Well, we very much. Uh, I mean, you've sold us on it, so we're well and truly we're uh, definitely looking forward to checking it out. Um, wish you all the yeah, best with great. the show. And thank you. Come, uh, come hungry is all I can say. Oh, look, that that won't be. I mean, Tom is just he's always hungry, so I'm sure he'll be oh, ready. I'm to go. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, all the best, Annette. Thanks very much. And uh, thank you. That was the show, Double Delicious. It is happening at. Abbotsford Convent and uh, definitely check out Asia Topa for tickets and more information. Quick track here you are listening to Art Smitten with Ben Dem and Tom. This is Icarus by Gengar right here on Sin. Welcome back to Art Smitten that was Icarus by Gengar like the Pokemon, wow and you're listening to Sin with Dem, uh, Tom and Ben I, I gotta say, um, credit for I didn't put that together. Is is that where Gengar comes from, the Pokemon, Surely. or possibly? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That that is the Genesis story. I'll tell you. You know, it feels like Pokemon's kind of getting bigger, but what also I believe is getting bigger is theatre as well. I'd agree. And I'm kind of curious, and I'll pose this question around the room: Is theatre bigger in 2020 than it ever has been before? Dem. Well, what do I think? Uh, well, I don't know. See, when it comes to theatre, I feel like there's a lot of audiences, as is the scenario with theatre. But I feel like younger audiences are almost checking out in a way. Like, we've seen a lot of advertising campaigns, especially targeting younger audiences, like, within their 20s, I suppose, um, who to bring them in, like, bums in seats. Because I suppose with a lot of streaming services especially, we see... A lot more people sitting at home for their entertainment than going out. Absolutely. So yeah, the experience might be the thing that brings people in. I, I got to say that's that's always the go-to for me. It's the, I, I'm like an old man. It's the damn streaming. It's the damn kids. But maybe it is because there's just too much entertainment. Have to pay. I mean, theatre shows, and you know this, Tom, very well. Theatre shows aren't overly cheap. No, but I think 
it depends like when when you go and see a theater show you know how much you're investing in it so you know that it's going to be a special unique moment which i really like um i think i, I was watching the lineup for um mtc uh earlier this week and i think two of the th- big things like that people look out for are like big name drops and like big like name drops of shows as well so there's always maybe like a shakespeare in there there's a lot of new stuff this year which really excites me but like a lot of iconic australian actors in there as well so that's one thing that's kind of uh tingling my theater palette i, th- I think if if there's interest for me to go i'll definitely go but i also like walking in blind but that's just me yeah so will we say it's bigger now I think it's definitely trying to get bigger. I think, with anything, it will take a while. But I think it's definitely going a bit more onwards and upwards. There's definitely this pizzazz factor that there's always a big show or two or three big shows in Melbourne um, or, like, in capital cities of Australia, like, uh, throughout the year. We just had um, Come From Away um, in Melbourne that just uh, wrapped up and um, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory just wrapped up. And I think there's a few others coming out as well. Chicago's just started. So there's... Um, I think it really depends on the, the kind of theatre that you're talking about. There's the big kind of wow factor theatre, like those shows that I just rattled off. Um, and there's also that kind of intimate theatre when, like, you think of, like, improv or um, something you'd see at Malthouse. It really depends on, like, what you're going in there for. Are you going in to see a show to be entertained or are you looking to see something provocative as well? What if perhaps it's kind of doing the same thing that films do where, you know, everyone sees the Marvel movies? I don't. So I'm, <laughs> I'm not in this conversation. But, you know, a lot of people are seeing, like, the big AAA movies and then, you know, the, the lovely art house films are kind of... They've got their cult following, which is a shame. Do you think theatre's the same? Are we only going to see Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, Dem and Tom, or are we just solely... Well, we have seen a lot of, uh, I suppose, theatrifications of films in recent years. Like last year, we had Lady in the Van from MTC come through, yes, which was yeah. an interesting one. I, I think that might be almost the niche that uh, theatre is trying to tap into, like the transposition of film into theatre so people can see their stories more like intimately, I suppose, like that experience factor. Even with... Even with um, with uh, the show we've just heard about from Annette, what was that one called? Double Delicious. Double Delicious. Thank you. Thank you, Ben. Not one delicious, double delicious. I know. Yeah. Well, you know, I, I thought, was that a wordplay? Um, food is one, but the performance is two. So it's double delicious. Didn't get to ask it. Really annoyed about that. I love that, though. <laughs> Let's stick with that. Yeah. <laughs> Loving that. Um, even that show has that aspect of, I suppose, that tangibility of being able to interact with the theatre that you're coming in contact with. And I think that's something that theatre will tap into in the next couple of years to really bring people back into the fold. Bang! <laughs> Absolutely. I think that nailed it on the head right there. Yeah, Yeah. for sure. Uh, Look, Dinosaurs Are In Love by uh, Fen Rosenthal, which is a song that I've never heard, and I love uh, finding new music every week, so let's play this one. You're listening to Art Smitten, uh, the conversation. It's going to keep rolling, and uh, don't you worry, plenty more to talk about. Stay with us.
We went from Dinosaurs in Love by Fen Rossenthal to Tiny Love by Mika, and you're here on Art Smitten with Dem, Ben, and Tom. And now, Ben, you were talking about something really interesting in the song break just there. We were talking about theatre in the last um, little bit we were having a, a chit-chat, uh, but you were talking about uh, what are the things that you should be looking for in a musical performance, like at a gig or at a festival, allude more on this. Well, the, I, I had all these thoughts and then I heard Mika not singing in a high-pitched voice there and I was kind of thrown for a second. He was singing kind of a little bit He's lower. matured. His voice is broken. But yeah, <laughs> yeah, I know. It's crazy. Uh, yeah, so I was just saying I, I attend a lot of uh, gigs, uh, arguably too many perhaps, but I'm more curious, like, if, is there something I should look out for that's more theatre-based with these concerts? Like, what makes a good front man or front woman or what makes, like, an energetic performer in music? Let's debate. Not debate. Let, let, <laughs> debate. Let, let's, let's have a nice... Head to head. Yeah, that, that, that's right. This is why you're wrong. No. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm just curious. What... I, I think any good artist definitely has some kind of stigma or character they've built about themselves. Like, they have a stage version of themselves and then the real version of themselves when they're not on stage. Um, a really typical example of this um, was a group called Approachable Members of Your Local Community and I saw them at the Gasso last year. But they had this whole, like, kind of... I guess you could call it theatre aspect. Like, the whole theme of the show was it's it's your dream birthday when you're, like, seven years old and there's fairy bread and lights and everything and, like, it's the best thing ever. Oh, and they kept this kind of thematic vibe all the way through the show and I absolutely love that and like they uh, brought up all their um, openers and said yeah they're going to join the party too and they all put on party hats and were playing covers stuff like that I think like is something that you probably like could get away with not putting in a musical performance but to the added value that they did put that in that performance definitely lifts it and turns it into something else as well as music. So, so is it fair to say that that kind of took your mind away from anything else? Like you were so, solely focused on what was going on on stage? 100%, yeah. Wow, that's that's pretty epic stuff. In terms of theatrics, uh, if I might chime in just for a second, uh, I don't know. I feel like a lot of artists have been doing it for a while, but it's been subtler. I suppose if you look, like, I don't know, if we look back to, like, you know, Freddie Mercury and David Bowie, there was always that element of the character and, and bringing forward their soul through their music, but never distracting, I suppose, from the music. Like, it was always a part of the show. Like, were the songs in that show, Tom, were they... Were they very, like, related to parties and, like, fun little things like that? They were very boppy, I think. Yeah. There, there was definitely this upbeat rhythm about it all, and you definitely felt like a sneaky little grin will pop on your face as well. But, like, when you were talking there, like, David Bowie was, like, one of the first people that came to mind. He embraces, like, the whole aesthetic of, like, who his quote-unquote character is. Yeah, 100%. I, but, like, I feel like with his characters, they were very much, like, each of them was a single persona and he, he like, delivered them through his music but also on stage. Then there were people like, like Freddie Mercury who was this constantly flamboyant human on stage and it was almost like his second self coming through, whereas in reality he was quite a softly spoken man who just sort of went about life as he would. And I think this is something that a lot of artists now try to get across, especially, like, uh, I don't know, the bigger ones. 
who can I think of? Um, Do you on the spot, aren't you? Yeah. <laughs> um, I suppose if we think of maybe who's a good one? Oh, I've completely gone blank on the mind there. But just um, artists who really come across as like this really, I suppose, like a la- larger than life kind yeah, of. Yeah, these okay. big people, like yeah. I, like giants with tiny love, as Mika would say. I yeah. quite enjoy that line. Um, yeah. Well, I, I guess to that point, my sister told me to watch that new Taylor Swift documentary. Right, and I think of her as just like some industry machine that just, you know... Chomping their way well, through Well, just the always <laughs> sells out venues and is played everywhere, and like to the point of like, go away. But uh, <laughs> it, it was really interesting to watch the doco and go, oh, wait, this is just like a real-life person. Like, you kind of forget that in a sense, mm-hmm. and maybe that's like a credit to her team and, you know, making almost a character, I think. I wouldn't really know. But, yeah. Very, very, very interesting. So you reckon only characters sell in music, pretty much? Uh, are, are we sick of the everyman, the every woman? It's either character or storyline, I think. If there's a story throughout something, it leaves the person soaking up the audience, let's call them. Uh, it leaves the audience uh, leaving like them in like suspense to kind of like find out what happens like at the end of the story. Like, Are they going to tame the magical dragon and all go away and have a tea party. Um, but that's totally up to the maker. But it seems like the big thing is definitely character personification. But then we still see people getting invested in artists like uh, Rex Orange County and like Ed Sheeran, who are just True. these really interper- like sweet human beings on stage playing their acoustic instruments. We, but it's that a character in itself. Yeah, w- which I think is like it's done that way because it's relatable. Like mm. you and I can go, oh, like I'm like that. I'm pretty like easy come, easy go and prototypical. So like I can like be like Ed Sheeran. I still argue that Ed Sheeran's the smartest man ever because he doesn't have a band. He just plays a guitar. And he's raking in all that money. Like, oh, that would yeah, just be he? unbelievable. He's yeah. going to be huge. doesn't even have to pay a drummer or anything. going to be huge. Is he huge? Uh, it, he's, I mean, that, that, that's a debate for another time. Indeed, no, he's, he's, he's a little bit uh, massive. You know who is one of my favourite Australian singers? Thelma Plum. How good is she? She is the best. Uh, one of. She's very good. Uh, this track, Homecoming Queen, is going to play now. You're listening to Art Smitten with Ben, Dem and Tom on Sin. Right here, right now, by Fatboy Slim, covered by Camel Fat. And before that, we had Homecoming Queen by Thelma Plum. But now, you are listening to Artsman with Dan, Ben and Tom. We were just chatting in the talk break um, before. Is there too much art to consume? A very ambiguous question, but something we are willing to pull apart. Indeed. Y- yes. Yeah. See, we we both Dem and I both pause then because we just there's just so much <laughs> dramatic effect. It's part of the art, in fact. It is indeed. Oh man. Um. I mean, where do you want to start? I think there's too much music to consume a week. One hundred percent. You couldn't listen to all of it. No, I tried. It didn't go too well. <laughs> you wouldn't be doing anything else unless you did no, you stuff wouldn't. while you listen to music, but you just wouldn't engage with yeah. people. A lot of these streaming services have this this really nice weekly sampler. It's like uh, new music. Australia and New Zealand and you go wow there's like 50 songs and this is just Australia and New Zealand combine the rest of the world's music there's a lot Mm. Uh, if you want to watch if you like a million different shows on different streaming platforms it costs you a lot of money monthly which I've worked out really quickly Mm. oh Disney Plus has Simpsons oh you know this network has that this network has that and 
it'd be nice for they're all together. It would be. It would be indeed. In a perfect world. <laughs> in a perfect world where we get all of everything in one place. Is that what television was? Anyway, um, when it comes to, I suppose, social media, I think, is the massive place where it completely overcomes, like, particularly, like, art-based ones like Instagram. Like, Instagram and stuff like that. Um, I feel like a lot of people, like, it's oversaturated with people posting and posting and posting their own work as well as people who are bigger posting in their own work and stuff like that. Um, I think that's a big place where it comes to. I think it's a blessing and a curse. Um, like, I was walking down Flinders Lane the other day and it's uh, absolutely pitter-patted with galleries. Um, but, like, I was so overwhelmed by, like, how much was going on, how many individual exhibitions are happening and like I feel like I really need to like put aside a good hour or so to indulge in everything that one artist has created for one exhibition rather than hit them off like a hit list like for TV shows it kind of feels the same with literature as well like um, I picked up um, a book on Sunday when I was at the bookshop uh, called Boy Swallows Universe by Trent Dalton, who's an Australian writer. But then I just added it to the pile and realised, oh, yeah, I've got, like, five other books to read as well. <laughs> you know, it, it's... um, I don't know how I feel about this. It's it's making me... And this is, you know, we've got to be honest here on Art Smitten. I feel like I'm becoming a bit more impatient as a person. I really am. I was going to say, you are. Am I? Oh, okay. I thought maybe... But now you've confirmed it, so great. Yeah, I was just in line, you know, like wanting to buy a coffee the other day. I don't drink coffee. It was for someone else. Um, <laughs> just, just had to, Tom was looking at me like, what do you want about? You tell him why here at the studio. Yeah, no, but, uh, you know, I, it was just taking a while to even get served and then they had to make the coffee and I thought, man, like this ain't right. If I want to listen to a song, I can just click my phone and... Hit play. You know what I mean? I'm, I just I'm sound like a millennial complaining about nothing. But also, like, with, with uh, you know, you get red traffic lights now. They're not, they're not instant because otherwise we'd have crashes everywhere. But you know what I'm saying? <laughs> I think uh, I, I'm just sick of, like, things being so easy. And I think also it makes us appreciate art a little less because I find a song and tell my friend, this is it, it's the best song, it's got the best riff ever, and then they've found one that was better than mine, and then it's kind of, yeah. I think there is such an art form in, like, saving up your pennies, going down to the vinyl shop or the CD shop, buying that album, and then taking it home and putting it on the player. That never happens anymore. We have streaming services, like, so accessibly at reach. Like, and people still try to live out that glory day. Like, vinyls are off the wall, just like vans. But it is absolutely ludicrous, like, how convenient the world is now. Is this convenience a good thing or a bad thing, Dem? Well, I don't know. I mean, I remember I was, uh, I think I was in the city with a couple of friends one time and there was this DJ playing all sorts of vinyls. And I remember being like, I really want this song, but I, I don't know what it is. And he seems quite busy with what he's doing. So I used an app on my phone to figure out what it was. And then I just bought the vinyl. And I um, I think that kind of convenience is fantastic. Whereas other forms of inconvenience where like things are being streamed constantly to your phone, to your, to your ears, to everything, it becomes almost like, what do I pay attention to? But at the same time, you can select things that you, I suppose, 
like more than other things easier. But on that point, you probably remember what the vinyl was that you bought, right? 100%. There you go. <laughs> Whereas if you, you know, you're just kind of going through, listening to a million different things, I mean, it has to really kind of stand out to even stick in your memory. It's Absolutely. True. It's true. Really, really excited because we have an interview coming up ever so shortly on Artsmith. No, we, we don't have just one festival to promote their brand new show. We've got two. Uh, this one, it's Midsummer, which uh, it's certainly uh, celebrating queer artists so along with cultural diversity. So we very much look forward to uh, supporting Midsummer Festival. And they've got a show on and we're going to be talking with Jennifer Piper about that time everything went well and we were totally fine. There's nothing wrong with any of us. It's, uh, do, you, do you see what that title's doing? I do. I definitely see it. Perfect. We're going to dive into that in just a second. For now, it is Tom. Uh, we're going to listen to Exit Sign by Hilltop Hoods and covered by Echavando and Ellie, but shield your ears. There's some naughty words in there. You can listen to Artsmitten on Sin. Yeah. Welcome back to Artsmitten with Ben, Dem and Tom. And that was Benny with Evil Spider. And you can catch her at Laneway Festival. That's actually happening this weekend. Yay! It's going to be so great. I can't wait. Uh, and b- before that, we had Exit Sign with uh, Hilltop Hoods featuring Echavandal and Illy. And that track was called Exit Sign as well. Transitioning forward to the Midsummer Festival, which is uh, happening. It's actually been happening now. It's been happening for a number of weeks, in fact. And we're ever so thrilled to be having a chat with Jennifer Piper because we're talking about that time. Everything went well and we were totally fine. It's a brand new comedy show. Jennifer, how are you this afternoon? Um, I, look, to be honest, I'm a bit smelly. We've been bumping into the Bowery Theatre all day today um, with their amazing crew. So I've been doing lots of um, running up and down stairs and deciding exactly which lights um, give the correct level of um, manic and threatening. I can yeah. totally understand that whole uh, <laughs> bumping it's not chaos. Unless it's terrifying, right? We've all been there, well, definitely. Uh, well, <laughs> well, I was going to say, you know, everyone sees different colours in manic, but surely a lot of reds. <laughs> <laughs> there's there's a lot of lurid yellow. Um, Ooh. Uh, Ooh. Yep. There's um, some ominous backlighting. Yeah. Yeah. No, we're having fun. Um, we. Have we were really lucky with this show. This is the second residency we've had to develop it. So we had a um, creative development residency from City of Maribyrnong late last year, um, which resulted in a short season at Bluestone Church Art Space. That's not a um, fully kitted out theatre, so we have to bring in all of our tech and all of that kind of stuff, staging, um, and we get a lot of support from some amazing people for that. But then we've had this. Um, residency through the Bowery Be Bold Creative Residency Program, which is amazing, and I would encourage anyone and everyone to apply for it. The team here are so supportive. You get a little bit of funding. Um, We've had a dance studio to work in for two weeks, which is great when you want to occasionally roll around on the ground because you've been playing (laughs) half a dozen characters all riddled with anxiety. That's that's brilliant. Um, Yeah, and then we get two full days in the theatre with tech support, which is just unheard of. What is going on here? What what an incredible, um, you know, bunch of people you're working for here. It sounds, uh, it doesn't really sound manic and very anxiety written, uh, to be honest, but I do have to ask, um, this show 
it just focuses on one of those days. We've all had them where if something's going to go wrong, it will go wrong. And I'm just wondering how on earth did kind of did something inspire this to then go, we're making a comedy show about this? Yeah. Um, so Belinda and I have been making theatre together since uh, 2014. So five and a bit years, coming up to six years. Um, and for probably the last three or four of them, we've been talking about um, writing a show, putting a putting a show. To, actually, no, we've been working together for longer than that. That's just how long the theatre companies existed. Anyway, I digress. Um, and so we started with the idea of writing a sketch comedy that looked at the idea that even the most unreasonable behaviour has a reason. Because, you know, you never know what somebody else is dealing with when they're doing something weird on the train platform or um, outside your local cafe or whatever. I, I, um, I, I had a quick grin there because um, one of our co-hosts, Tom, he's always doing something weird, uh, <laughs> especially on train platforms. So, yeah, we can all relate. Yeah, and um, so we, we were then looking at anxiety and we don't talk about it a lot, but as, um, as culturally and and um, or socioculturally we move further and further in the direction we're moving, we are becoming generally more anxious. And anxiety can be terrifying and it can be confusing. And a lot of the time people don't realise that they are living with some kind of mental health fun time. Um, and, you know, comedy is, is tragedy plus timing. So we started off with a collection of sketches, um, including the sitcom In Bed With Anxiety. Uh, <laughs> I like that. That's a nice awesome. title, yeah. Yeah. Everyone's favourite homemaker uh, as a guest on the local morning show for her segment Bottling Emotions. Um, what not to say to an anxious person? You know, we've, I, don't, yeah. I don't want to give away too much. No. But then we thought, well, the thing that we really use to make all of this stuff manageable is love and community and connection and family and friendship and chosen family. So we developed this through line of two people, Jerry and Frankie, both, you know, carrying around their bag of sheets. <clears throat> That's not a swear. Um, and no, both, not at all. both trying to just have a good time in all caps and failing. I love that. Um, you talk a, a bit about um, anxiety and you, you say it's such like a taboo thing, uh, I guess, in our society. Um, yeah. But I think it's really awesome that um, you've brought this and mental health to the forefront. What was the inspiration behind that for you guys? Um, well, uh, we both live with our own pick and mix of, um, of mental health stuff. I talk about my pick and mix because, you know, what, what, which of it is divergence and which of it is disability and which of it is disorder and, you know, um, we're so good at categorising things and all of the edges are blurry. I love a blurry edge. And, um, <laughs> Don't we all? And it kind of, it reminds me, what's, what's happening around anxiety at the moment reminds me a lot 
of discussions around depression in the 90s when I was in my teens where you had some people saying, oh, everyone's got depression now and other people just trying to say, well, yeah, actually, and if we talk about it, people won't die. Um, and in my lifetime, I've lost a lot of friends to mental illness. Um, and and it is that connection and community and it's being able to say to somebody, hey, I'm drowning, can I just tell you that? Because often just voicing it removes some of its power. Do you know what I mean? And so if we can, if people can come along, I mean, first and foremost, the show exists to entertain. It's funny and it's fun and it's silly sometimes <laughs> and um, we've had the most amazing dramaturgical support from more than a handful of people, um, which just makes me feel so lucky and, uh, you know, makes my anxiety feel very undeserving. Um, but so we want people to have a good time. And at the same time, maybe you'll sit there thinking, oh, God, my mum does that. Or, oh, God, my manager does that at work. Well, is it fair to oh. say that... The... Or even I do that, you know? Do you think it was fair to say that writing this piece had a bit of an extra challenge? Because, I mean, behind, you know, what we're seeing, there is a lot of heavy themes of, uh, you know, anxiety oh. and depression. <laughs> and then you're actually trying to make it make us laugh while we, yeah, while we watch yeah. two characters on stage. And I just kind of feel that that would be awfully difficult and almost confronting to write. Yeah, it is. It is. Um, uh, thank you for raising that point. And Wits Incorporated, which is the theatre company that um, Belle and I founded uh, in 2014 and, and that is um, the producing company for this show, we have a really specific focus on safe work practices and, and healthy work practices. So coming into any show, we look at what is required for cultural safety um, whether that be for um, for queer folks, for um, trans and gender diverse folks, for people of different cultural and linguistic backgrounds, people with disabilities, what do you need to work safely? Because that is what you need to do your best work. And so coming into this show, where we know we're working with really fraught material, and material that can quite often be triggering for us, um, we wanted to be really careful in the way we work. So um, in this particular residency, because it's been really intensive as well, we've been working pretty much full-time hours for two and a half weeks just on this show. Unbelievable. Yeah. <laughs> I, I do <laughs> wonder, like, by the, <laughs> by the time it's the night to uh, perform, are we already, like, a bit, oh, man, I'm, I'm checked out. <laughs> it's a bit of Yeah, no, hopefully not. But it's been a really great exercise in prioritising healthy work. So that might be taking five minutes to put on some music really loud and dance around like wallies to um, Ghostbusters. Absolutely. Or um, it might be taking a hot minute to just go outside and see the sky, making sure we eat regularly. Mm. Like stuff that you just don't think about until you think about it. Um, and also having this incredible support network. I'm so, really, 
Yeah. I'm really interested to find out where did the opportunity uh, arise to come partner with Midsummer? Well, that was actually at suggestion of um, the Bowery Theatre team. So um, we were successful in our application for this um, Be Bold residency, um, I don't know, probably mid last year. What is time? And, it's an illusion. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and um, it was the team here who said, hey, how would you feel about this being in Midsummer? And Belinda, being the um, incredible ally that she is, just turned and looked at me and went, well, I think this is your call. Um, so, you know, as, as the um, resident queer, I said, yeah, sure. I mean, um, uh, being um, same-sex attracted or multi-gender attracted or asexual, trans and gender diverse intersex kind of goes hand in hand with anxiety and depression. And so it made sense, right? And we're in St Albans. And, I mean, being queer in the city is hard. Being queer in the suburbs is tough. So why not? Why not Why not have a big hurrah? Mm. Um, and rather than having a midsummer festival that is really centralised and really focused on areas where you can already find stuff, be part of Bowery's um, really beautiful effort. Oh, and and the, the City of Brimbank Arts and Culture team's beautiful effort to make sure that there was stuff happening here. It is at the Bowery Theatre. It is happening yeah. at St Albans. And the show title mm-hmm. is That Time Everything Went Well and We Were Totally Fine. Now, I, I can sense the sarcasm in that. Uh, opening title. Is that pretty fair to say? It's coming off a little strong there. But everything is okay. Everything's great. I don't know what you're talking about. Yeah, exactly. We're fine. We're so fine. I like it. This is going really well. Jen, my my final question is, I do wonder, and I, I know you're being completely, you know, swamped by, it's consuming your life at the moment, two and a half weeks. If you could look back at this show in two years' time, would there be anything you would change about it? Oh, my goodness. Are you kidding me? Always. Oh, okay. There we go. Is, is, there, is there anything I, key? I look back on on all of my art with love, knowing how I would do it differently now. Because in two years' time, the world is different and, and you're a different person and and you can always learn and you know i i just think i think life and art and relationships i don't know everything is try and fail and try again and fail a bit better you know what i like i i call that failing forward and uh, yes yeah Yeah, very that very that um so right now i wouldn't change my life for the world fantastic time yeah, maybe I'll stage it differently. And, but right now, and, this is, yeah. And, and, and here you are going to, um, you know, enrich everybody else's life with this fantastic show coming up. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, you know, the three of us are just sitting trauma. in a studio, not really working as hard as we probably could be. Uh, so, Jen, Jen, we want to thank you so much for joining us here on Art Smitten, wishing you all the best with thank the show. You. Hopefully, there's, I'm sure there'll be plenty um, of laughs. Before I go, the, if people want to um, check out the show, have a look at tickets, our website is witinc.com.au. So that's W-I-T-I-N-C 
www.cabaret.com.au. The show is Friday at 8. Doors and the cabaret seating and the bar kick off at half past 7, I think. Um, yeah. It's it's a fun night out. And, and for those listening here on Sin, don't be don't be ridiculous. You need a laugh. We all do. We all. <laughs> oh my god. We all, we all need a laugh. <laughs> we, we all work hard, and uh, I, I think you can definitely come down to that time. Everything went well, and we were totally fine. And uh, Jen looks forward to seeing you there. So Jen, thank you so much for joining us. <laughs> it's a pleasure. Thanks for having me. Um, we did talk about uh, mental health today in this interview. So if you're feeling like you need to reach out and talk to someone, you can call Beyond Blue at one 224 636 or you can also call Lifeline at 13 11 14. But for now, we're going to go to another song. We're going to listen to Daisy by Pond. You're listening to Artspin and with Dem, Ben and Tom on Sin. You are listening to Art Smitten. Dem, Ben, and Tom. And, you know, like, we're talking about anxiety and, like, uncomfortableness with the show. Uh, Just previously, a massive thanks to Jennifer Piper for taking us through that show. Uh, And we kind of just had that moment then, didn't we, Tom, where, you know, the system kind of went, we can work, but maybe we won't. We did, but it's onwards and upwards on here on Artsman today. It it certainly is. Uh, Daisy just played before by Pond. Uh, if you're wondering what that track was that kind of interrupted us just then, I have no idea. Yeah, but neither the, do I. It but... just kind of intercepted its way into the studio <laughs> yeah. and it's left again. Yeah, yeah, I didn't even have enough time to Shazam it because I was kind of, you know, having a bit of fun with it. Uh, but then also it was uh, Talk Deep by East. My sister just moved to Sydney a couple of weeks ago and, like, her best friend's East. Like, they hang out all the time. So, woo! Represent. Sam. <laughs> uh, also, let's... Uh, have a, a a bit of a chat now, Tom. You have been a bit of a busy bee, and you've been you went to a gallery exhibition just recently. Oh, I'm a busy bee. I'm buzzing. I'm making honey all day. But I went to the NGV on Sunday, and um, I saw a really interesting exhibition, um, which was a compilation of the work done by Keith Herring and Jean Michael Basquiat. Um, this collective exhibition is called um, Crossing Lines. And um, it was a really interesting retrospect on their work. They both went to art school together, um, both grew up in America, um, but they both uh, face um, interesting discrimination, one more on the um, queer front and the other more on the racial discrimination front. And they had embodied this in their um, physical works, um, mainly through painting, Um, But it was really interesting to see two very different aesthetic styles um, in um, illustration um, put together, but thematically it still worked so well. Um, One of the things I really enjoyed about this exhibition um, was Keith Herring's work. Um, You'll know things like Mambo uh, that... Uh, had a huge um, influence from Keith Haring, uh, that kind of outline style. Um, and the way he uses uh, shapes in this kind of blockish way, um, I find really fascinating. It's something that, in my own art making, I've never really done myself. Um, but contrasting to that, um, Basquiat has this kind of Mighty Bush esque style that's really interesting to look at as well. 
Yes, it's quite a quite a almost I don't know like a splattery intense vibe that you get. Like if you've seen any of Noel Fielding's work, he recently also had a, a, a exhibition somewhere in London. Yeah, um, his work is very similar. The um, the intense, the bright colours, and then also like a lot of black involved as well. Um, very similar and very nice looking stuff too. Definitely. Is there kind of like a bio about each piece while you're at this exhibition? There was, and uh, some of it was more fleshed out than others. Um, and there were definitely uh, particular influences on um, particular illustrations. Like um, one that Basquiat did was uh, just of a policeman eating a banana. But the whole idea of this piece was um, the authority that police had over uh, probably himself at the time. He probably felt threatened by someone who was in authority. Um, Because one of the really interesting things uh, when um, Basquiat was doing his work was uh, he did a lot of graffiti art. So he had to kind of work very quickly on the go. And same with Herring. They both had to kind of like do their work and go quite quickly. Otherwise, they would get arrested like because what they're doing is illegal um so it, it, it's interesting to have something like that depicted um in the way it was i i guess the question begs is it better to be told or do you like to make up your own interpretation of the art that you are looking at i think it's interesting definitely knowing in the foreground of like who this person is and what their journey is. And I think that alone is able to speak enough through the work um, connectively all together. Um, and I think that could be said for a lot of artists as well. Like I think Vincent van Gogh is a um, perfect representation of someone who had a lot of baggage um, in their life. Um, but this kind of weird explosion of colours and um, landscapes um is something so beautiful but kind of um, still kind of finding its form in a way. And I feel like um, Van Gogh was definitely in that kind of interstitial phase. I feel like you were really entranced by this. Like You're like looking straight through me and them. <laughs> in another <laughs> world. Like, like, is it fair to say this was a pretty breathtaking exhibition? Definitely, like, as I think about it, like, I think I was, like, literally, like, trying to kind of take myself back to the gallery and, like, standing in front of the paintings because when I definitely see something that I find striking, I like to really just take it in, especially if it's, like, a big piece of work. It's really interesting when a painting, like, engulfs your whole point of vision. Have you ever had that feeling before? Oh, 100%. I remember I went to the Australian, I think it's the Australian National Gallery in um, in Canberra and there's there was this big painting on the wall. It was just a big like canvas. I don't know. I can't even remember what colour it was, but then it just had a few little things happening in it and it was just very interesting because it's sort of, it was like tunnel vision. It was like, oh, I'm engulfed. What's happening here? Like the vibe is, is with me. <laughs> it's definitely bizarre having that sensation. I mean... I wish I went to more galleries and stuff, but the the graffiti lanes 
eye-opening as well, right? Hosier, yeah. Hosier's fantastic. It's always changing too. That's what I like about it. Yeah, and I think there's definitely artists in there like who start off and they definitely like to challenge the norm of like what's going on either in their own interpersonal world or the exterior world. And I think more and more that will continue to evolutionise in this kind of ongoing thing that we call the world. So, Tom, give us the uh, the details to this uh, this gallery that you, you checked out. Where yeah. can we find it? Where can we see it? Yeah, beautiful. So it is at the National Gallery of Victoria in Melbourne, and it is open until the 13th of April this year. Wild. That is so yeah. much time. Yeah. Like, get down there. Get down there. Come yeah. on. Don't be lazy. NGV are really generous with uh, the amount of time that they allow to have an exhibition going. And I'm uh, super excited. I'm really keen to see um, the course exhibition that's on at the moment as well. Um, but, yeah, they will give you time to, like, go and see stuff. And you can stay there for as long as you need to and just enjoy it. If you've seen some art that you absolutely love, you can get in contact with us. And my word, we would love to hear from you and we'd love to see it. Uh, art Smitten on Instagram, on Facebook, trying to think of all the others. There's so many on Twitter. Thank you, Tom. Art Smitten on Sin, uh, definitely get in contact with us. The Wednesday team, not the Sunday team. We, we don't talk to each other. We don't really get on. That's a joke. Uh, <laughs> e- e- either way, um, we'd both very much... for you, folks. <laughs> They're probably listening now. <laughs> I'm, I'm sure they are. But yeah, absolutely. Let us know. And uh, we're going to be back. We're going to be talking more art, more theatre and more fun stuff. After this. I hope you're rushing back because that's the name of this next song that we're doing, Rushing Back by Flume. You're listening to Artsman and On Sin with Dem, Ben and Tom. Howdy, folks. We're back again. And that was Out of Control by the, Chem- the Chemical Bros, but covered by the Avalanches or just Avalanches. Um, and before that, we had Rushing Back by Flume and Vera Blue. Okay, boys, what are we talking about? Well, here's the thing. Um, I... Always have these stupid grand plans, right? You know, you know when something sounds really great in your head and you go, this is what we're going to do. It's going to be the best. And then you look at your calendar and you go, there's no time for that. You are a bit of a planner. You should be on grand designs. <laughs> <laughs> Until I have to actually design something and then you guys critique it on art spin and the whole thing comes. I'm getting too carried away. Uh, so, yeah, I, I, there's a new James Bond film coming out. It's the, uh, the 25th film, the fifth with Daniel Craig. Now, can I pause there? Ben is a massive... James Bond, Die Hard. He lives and breathes it. You know, it's funny because I was thinking to myself, like, what is it that I love so much about it? But then I thought of 100,000 reasons why I love it. But I think the big thing for you is nostalgia. Like, I went Huge. to his house <laughs> and, like, he doesn't only have, like, the complete Blu-ray set, but he has each Blu-ray individually as well. Oh, wow. Yeah, I've doubled up. Um, and then they released the new films on 4K, so I might have bought them as well. But it was a buy one, get one free. So I got Star Wars too. Uh, <laughs> Not a special edition. Yeah. Anyway, I thought, you know, what a perfect time and opportunity this would be to actually go back and watch the first one all the way to the 24th and then I'd be ready for the 25th. But then I looked at my calendar and realized I'm out every second night of the week. So if I am to attempt such a thing, firstly, would you like to come over um, and watch 24 at one? No. Yeah, sure. Uh, okay. <laughs> what, what, what should I look out for? if I'm going to rewatch these films, because they start in 1962, 63 to now. Is there something maybe I, should I look at this with some different glasses on and a bit of a different outlook? I reckon tropes of the time are really interesting. Like whenever 
I think James Bond definitely tries to be cutting edge and like be of age and of of the future, and like they'll try and do futuristic, but like particularly in the sixties and seventies, everything is analog. Yes, that that's an interesting observation I make like about anything at that time. Yeah, I think the comedy gets quite cheesy. Yeah, kind of mid seventies. Yeah, it's like having a joke with your your dad or something, and yeah, just al- not having the same level al- of comedy, I suppose. Al- al- almost, but my dad's a comedian, so no, he's oh, not. Well. <laughs> <laughs> sort of, don't worry. No, about no, that. no he's, he he tells some great jokes, but also, uh, I mean, Roger Moore was essentially a dad, wasn't he? In he a way, was, when yeah. you think about it, like well, he was I guess they're probably all parents now. Hmm. Is um, should I look at title sequences? Maybe trends on those. That's always interesting, and definitely the people who cover the songs. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Who's the big one of the day? The big artist. Who's oh. your favourite? Oh, my my favourite James Bond theme song of all time. Gee, that's putting me on the spot, Tom. Oh, there's only 24 films. Surely you can pick one. Yeah, I know. Um, <laughs> I, I, I will just say um, I appreciate and love and respect everybody who loves Billie Eilish. But when I saw that she was doing the new theme, I kind of gazed at my phone for 15 seconds in a little bit of... Disbelief? Shock and awe. Yeah, okay. Uh, look, I hope she kills it. I really do. But I reckon she will. It, it's not so much like her. Her, She's not the issue. I, I do just wish... Like, let's get someone like Benny. Like, someone that's not as big. Like, what does Billie Eilish gain from doing a James Bond theme song? Like, she's won five Grammys. Everyone knows who she is. One of the highest streaming artists. Mm. Wouldn't it be cool to get someone a bit more... Who might get the rub out of that a bit more? That's just... I'd look at things a bit differently. Depends how deep you rub it in. <laughs> well, do you think it's that she's getting something from it, or do you think they're getting something from her? They're getting a lot from yeah, her, right? I feel like, because yeah. I get it. It's all business, but at the same, I don't know. <laughs> I just, I just go. Man, I want an indie artist. Man, there's artists that are struggling to make money and live, and I mean, it'd be awesome to get their art out there. Like a perfect example, we uh, interviewed last year Aquila Young, yeah. um, and her song was just perfect. I heard it. I went, "This is it. This is the next theme song." But obviously, the name doesn't have. Global recognition. Sure, so you'll get there. Yeah. If you're listening, you'll get there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 We were putting, uh, Ben and I were putting like bets on like who we thought would like get it. And like my guess was Aurora. I reckon like she stylistically yeah, like that, that has the killed. voice for James Bond. Yeah. Uh, yeah, okay, so do I attempt watching all 24 or no? Because I am going to Perth next week, thankfully Thursday morning, so we'll be here, yay. Uh, but then after that, I've got America like a couple of weeks after, so I don't know. I don't think this is going to work, but I want to watch them all. I reckon you can make it work. Surely, surely. Hmm. You could figure out a timetable, you know, schedule in regular breaks, etc. See, that, sound, that's, that sounds very organised. Maybe, maybe Dan can schedule this for you so you can make it happen. I, I think so, actually, yeah, yeah. because you, you were complaining that you didn't have enough to do oh, um, in well. your spare time. <laughs> so, so, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll just do a few extra things. Uh, this is getting... We just listened to Out of Control, didn't we? We did. Mm. I was going to say this is getting out of control, but instead it's getting a little bit juicy with juice by Lizzo. It didn't really work, but I thought I'd try. I I vibed it. It was a vibe. Sweet. All right. Well, we're going to keep the vibe going. We'll have a vibe check later. Yeah. Lizzo. Juice. That was I Will Survive and This Love by Pomplamoose. And before that, we had Juice by Lizzo. But right now, you're listening to Artsmen on Sin. But the time isn't over yet. But indeed, we are joined by the wonderful people at the Hoist. How are you doing, guys? Great, thank you. Yeah, uh, we're Alice and Emmy. I'm Emmy. 
And we've got the hoist coming up next. So is it first week of the show, I yes. imagine? Yes, first week. Who are the lucky artists that are going to be speaking with you? Uh, so we've got this um, punk band, Waxflower. We've also got uh, Geowolf, this like uh, very cool, dreamy duo. And I have seen that name. Geowolf? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, me too. <laughs> Sounding a bit familiar. It, yeah, it is. I'm thinking, where have I seen that? I know that, but yeah. And nice. the third and final one is is um, Bijou. Fantastic. Yeah. Wow. Bijou. Bijou. Sounds like a good lineup. See, it, see, if you aren't familiar with those names, I mean, we're not going to change the style for a second, are we? We're just going to keep listening through till Absolutely. 8 o'clock. Uh, we'll we discover ga- them. That's right. That's exactly mm-hmm. why we do it. Uh, any chance you go in the laneway this week? Oh. Because Dem is, and Tom and I are jealous. Yes, yeah. I'm heading there this Saturday. Very excited, very excited. I totally forgot about Laneway. I'd love to go. <laughs> uh, it's just that thing, isn't it? Everything creeps up one after another. Like a spider. Like an evil spider. Uh, I'm actually going to like this weird... They're, they're doing this bushfire benefit concert at 12 o'clock at night and it finishes at 3 a.m. And they've got Charlie XCX and Oliver Tree. And when you book it, you think that's great. But I'm already feeling tired on a Wednesday Six o'clock. You better have an afternoon nap so you're ready. Yeah, I'm kind of wondering, like, how on earth am I even going to do this at 3 a.m.? Anyway. Arvo nap. All good. It's a vibe. It is. Tom, uh, what is your biggest takeaway in terms of today's show? We've talked about a lot. We interviewed uh, Jennifer Piper before um, about their show at Midsummer. We did. And who else did we interview today? Oh, come on, Tom. We interviewed Annette Shunwa about her show Double Delicious, uh, which is, you know, it's a, they're, they're taking five public figures and they're talking about some of their favourite Asian meals as part of the Asian Topa Festival. And, uh, I mean, I don't know, which one would you rather see? You can only go to one. Well, I guess it's Double. Double Delicious. Yeah, I, I mean, Double is in both, but... Oh, right, okay, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm with you, I'm with Dub- you. Oh, I see, yeah, I see yeah, what yeah, you did yeah, there. Yeah, that, that was a little minute. sneaky, oh. like, interception. This, this guy, got to... Uh, we, we can't trust him. Uh, are any of us going to any art exhibitions next week or anything? Uh, what does next week's show uh, hold? I might have a little sneakery ditch down uh, Flinders Lane, see what's happening around there, or maybe Chapel Street in Paran. See, like, just what's vibing, and I might come back with some hearty news. Beautiful. Dem, are we checking out any art? We're we going to the festival? Oh, we're going to the festival, and then from there we might see what local artists have come along to show off their stuff. Wow. It's, I mean, it's all happening. And uh, stay tuned for The Hoist. It is up next. You're listening to Art Smitten with Ben, Tom and Dem. And we look forward to catching you again next week. Be safe and all the best. Thank you. Thank you.